0: Hey dickheads! We have a very special interview today. This is one of our favorite modern writers, Brian Evanson. And we are just really stoked because he is here to talk PKD with us, and then we're going to break down his novella, The Warren, which is very PKD-influenced, so we suggest that you should really buy the warren before you listen to the second half of this episode
1: because there be lots of spoilers
0: and you're really going to appreciate it because if you like pkd you're definitely going to like the warren so anthony tell us about brian evanson
1: brian evanson is the author of a dozen books of fiction most recently the story collection a collapse of horses and the novella the warren which we breakdown in this episode for everybody he's also recently published wind eye and immobility both of which were finalists for a shirley jackson award his novel last days won the american library associations award for best horror novel of 2009 his novel the open curtain was a finalist for an edgar award and an international horror guild award other books include the wavering knife which won the ihg award for best story collection dark property and altman's tongue
0: and he's a dickhead What we do is we talk about Philip K. Dick and all the works of Philip K. Dick. There's no time stamp on our episodes. You can read along with us from the start. We started with his first book, The Solar Lottery, and we're reading all the way through. So I hope you'll join us in other episodes of The Dickheads.
1: Enjoy the interview, everybody.
0: All right, dickheads, we have a special pink laser beam of truth guest tonight, uh, the author Brian Evenson, who's here to talk to us about both PKD and his 2016 novella published by Tor The Warren. Brian, welcome to the Dickheads podcast.
2: Thank you. Good to be here.
1: All right. Um, Anthony? Anthony?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: we're a very professional podcast brian as you can see. Uh,
2: that's good that's awesome
1: so since we are a philip k dick podcast i guess the first question would be kind of what's your what's your relationship with the work of pkd and kind of when did you first discover him
2: you know i i, I hadn't read him when i was growing up but then um maybe 10 15 years ago i i started reading him i i started with uh I think partly because I was interested in Blade Runner with the Flow, flow My Tears, um, the policeman said, and then just kind of went on. And so over the course of about a year and a half, I read almost all the, the novels, or at least the ones that were available at that time, and uh, just have kept it up. I, I like his work a lot. I think he's pretty important. He's pretty interesting to me. Um, probably my favorite novel is Scanner Darkly. Um, but there's there's lots of great moments in, in different books, and it kind of goes back and forth. That, though, is the one for some reason I think about the most, and I don't know if it has to do with, you know, <laughs> where we are as a country or why, but uh, but yeah, that's the one I think about the most.
1: Are there any general themes in Dick's work that really draw you in specifically?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's, he's often really interested in, in having contrasting realities or different realities or you know, this, this thing that happens in, in uh, uh, some of his books where where uh, um, you you have, um, you know, someone just kind of uh, doesn't understand what's happening with them. So Ubik, they seem to be living a sort of, um, you know, existence, and then slowly it becomes clear that what they think is going on is not exactly what's going on. And that, that thing in particular, I think, is something that I admire in him that I've tried to do in my own work.
1: Do you think any of that influence kind of crept into the, the Warren?
2: Uh, I would guess so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, so I, I must've read 30 um, novels over the course of a year and a half. And I think it really kind of became part of my like literary DNA, although Philip K. Dick, um, and it's got to come out somewhere. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that the Warren, um, I think it's in some of my other stories too, and and other things. But yeah, the Warren definitely has a, a kind of a stamp of Philip K. Dick. The other thing I'll say about Philip K. Dick, which I think is important, is um, his grave. Weirdly enough, is the grave I've visited most of any grave.
1: Where is it? Because we, we'll I, just go just the
2: middle of Colorado in a little town. But it was always on a drive that I used to take, and so we would always stop there and see it. So has a cat on the head on the gravestone.
1: Okay. David,
2: yeah. do you want to ask you? Yeah. Um so Brian,
0: you teach at uh you teach writing at CalArts, you've also you've taught at other universities too. Yeah. And um I'm wondering, like, have you in your classes, have you ever used PKD as a teaching example? And and what um what examples would you use at, you know to teach PKD?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't taught a specific science fiction class, so I haven't thought of him in that context. Um, I find myself recommending him to a lot of students. Um, I've actually talked, weirdly enough, a lot about um, the Perky Pat stuff, um, you know, that this, this kind of game that these colonists are playing, and, and one of his – I think it's both in a novel and a story. I don't remember anymore. Um, but, but that's something that comes up just for some reason um, just thinking about uh, I, I think it's, it's just a way for me to, to, to think about how you can do something that's both deeply weird and unsettling and funny at the same time and how people get so invested in, in, in uh, a reality that's not their own or, or get, get invested in game and things like that. I, I use that sometimes. Um, but, yeah, generally, I mean, I think especially with students who um, are interested in kind of the notion of kind of unstable reality or shifting reality, um, I, I I do recommend Dick to them, and and I find students really split in terms of what they like by him. There's some students who really go towards things like the Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch and and kind of the later Vallis and stuff like that, and then others are more interested in in, in uh, um, you know things like uh, Flow My Tears and uh, um, uh, Scanner Darkly and things like that.
0: Yeah, so right now what we're doing on the podcast is we're reading through all of Dick's, um, his entire bibliography in order. So oh, awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Well, I think we should point out it's in order of publication, not in order of which he wrote them.
0: Yeah. Oh, right. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So in the order of publication, so we're kind of like trying to rediscover PKD through the way the world did. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting to see. We, we just recorded an episode out of, on um, Time Out of Joint. Yeah. Yeah. So we just did Eye in the Sky and Time Out of Joint. And what's really Mm -hmm. interesting is because to us, these two books show major steps towards his ability to move a narrative forward, but also, you know, looking at, at at the, at the ideas. And it's really interesting because Time Out of Joint is very obviously very similar in plot to the Truman Show, which came years later. Yeah. Right. But what we see, we see how he's able to put together a narrative and combine that that kind of paranoia, which is is something that I've seen you do, too. So I'm wondering if you could um, talk to us a little bit about how you feel PKD is as a narrative storyteller.
2: Um, You know, I I think it varies from book to book, (laughs) Um, and some are definitely kind of more developed. Um I mean I, I think for for me um what's interesting about him is not only his ability to tell narrative but the way it, it will suddenly disrupt and so even something like Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep there's this moment when when things just get slightly weird um and and those moments I think you find all through his work in some ways but as as a kind of narrative storyteller I mean I think there are some that that really do Um, suck you in quite strongly I think. Um, Ubik for me does and it's partly because it has that kind of element of disruption but I really am interested in having you know figuring out what's going on and having the characters figure out what's going on and then um, I think it's Flow My Tears which is the one where he kind of just suddenly wakes up and he doesn't have his identity and he's been deleted and is trying to figure out what's happening Um, uh, that um, I think really kind of works on a plot level it just it carries you kind of forward um so so different ones i think kind of are more kind of you have a sense of him kind of manipulating the narrative um and playing with it as opposed to just a kind of straightforward narrative progression but i i think with the narrative progression um you know i think he is a very kind of fluid storyteller when he wants to be and he just he knows when not to be i think um but, you know, even something like you take something like Dr. Blood Money and there's this amazing thing where you kind of have a story being told and then you take a big time jump and, uh, you know, things kind of transform and change. And So, so I, I think he's someone who, for me, is always interested in trying slightly different things. So even though he's writing very quickly, um, I still feel like he's always curious with each new book, if that makes any sense.
0: Right. Well, we also found... That, like, World Jones Made, for example, which was his second published novel, yeah. doesn't really work, all the threads <laughs> that, <Yeah. laughs> that are coming. Even though we liked it overall. But right. I mean,
1: it wasn't as bad as the Cosmic Puppets. Right. And,
0: <laughs> but I in the Sky, for example, like, did all the things that he was trying to do with World Jones Made narratively yeah. and pulled it off. Um yeah. And at least for us. I'm wondering Yeah, too, I agree. Yeah. yeah, I'm wondering too um in since you work in academic circles and with with you know pretty high class literature and stuff um do you ever um have to find yourself defending Philip K Dick? Uh
2: you know, I mean he's one of those writers who kind of in the acad, acad- in academia has been kind of accepted as like okay even though he's a science fiction writer, I think. And so I find myself less having to defend him. It's like if if they're going to know anybody in the SF world, it's probably going to be um, Asimov and Philip K. Dick. And, and Philip K. Dick is just people think of as a little, you know, as hipper and kind of more interesting. And, you know, now there's a Netflix show and there are various, you know, there, you also have the movies a couple of years ago. and. And uh, even if they're not that faithful, I think it just kind of gave him a certain currency. So I would say that like a lot of the academics that I'm around who who have a kind of sense of theory have decided that Dick might be okay after all.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm wondering, um, we often talk to, there's a fellow Philip K. Dick podcaster, Evan Lamp, who we've interviewed in the past, and, uh-huh. and, and um, Evan is really into the idea of how philip k dick explores the frontier and the idea of the concepts of the frontier and what's really interesting to me is that was something that evan's very into and and writes a lot about and i'm wondering if there are themes of philip k dicks that you think get overlooked that there are ones that you've picked up upon while reading his work that
2: yeah yeah well I mean, the frontier is an interesting one to do, especially because when you think of of colonization, which comes up in a couple of the, um, books, um, or, or the um, end I, I of every single me, one
0: of the first couple. Yeah,
2: first couple. Yeah, um, but I, I, um, I, I think for me, I mean, one thing. I'm, I. There is this kind of the paranoia. I think is definitely there, and that's something that really draws to me. But lots of people talk about that. Um, I think that the way in which people think about the kind of collapse of reality in his work is, um, they, they do it, but I think that there's a lot more to be said about it, I guess I would say. Um, and then I also think there is a kind of sense of humor in Philip K. Dick's work um, that, that I like quite a bit, um, you know, even from, from the level of just the kinds of names that he chooses sometimes to, to just little small details. Um, so so I, I do think those things maybe get get overlooked just a teeny bit.
1: So. Are there any kind of recurring themes or things that Dick does that you don't necessarily dig as much as some of the stuff we've, we've talked about?
2: Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think there, there's certain books that you start to feel are slightly recycled versions of other books, and I think you guys have already run across that. And so I would say that, that, that there are moments when he's this kind of wildly creative um, um, writer. Um, but I just think there's certain periods in his writing where he's like, he's either just too, like, high or he's like <laughs> writing too fast or something. And so he keeps on kind of re- re- redoing it. And, you know, in some senses, that's OK, because it's like the thing that you guys found, which I think is totally true. It's like you get to, you know, you see him try something and kind of not quite get it. And then and then he gets it. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that's the book I want. And he had to do these other books to get there. But a lot of writers um, don't publish those books that are on the way um, <laughs> to get into the really good book. And so, so that can be a little frustrating, I think, sometimes. When I was reading, um, you know, when I had my year and a half of just reading through his work, um, I made the mistake of, of reading a lot of the really famous and good ones first. And then so I was at the end. It was like it got a little sparse um but even then i mean i would say there'd be one or two books and i'd read them and i'd be like ah, i'm not crazy about it and then i'd hit a third one and i'd be like yes this is great and so it kind of kept me going and i i didn't you know i didn't set out when i started reading them thinking i'm going to read the whole you know going to read 30 plus novels and 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 i did and so you know and, and i could have easily put it down at any point so and if if the writing hadn't been intriguing enough
0: mm-hmm. so um i'm wondering about um what what year roundabouts in, was this year where you read all the PKd books
2: you know it was uh, 10 or 15 years ago um, it would have been actually I have one of the books here I can maybe I try to keep track of that kind of stuff um, would have been in 2004 all right so before so, so
0: before you wrote the final version of last days probably yeah. right yeah uh,
2: yeah so, so well let's see. So, yeah, I'd written um, um, uh, Brotherhood of Mutilation, but I don't think I'd written Last Days by that point.
0: Um, okay, so this might be kind of a stretch of a PKD influence, but I know sometimes you purposely repeat names. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was wondering if that was kind of like um, just like a little thing that, because that, I know he's kind of playful with names too.
2: I, I think it's his playfulness of, with names is something that appealed to me um i i i didn't, didn't consciously note that he was repeating names and i i started repeating names i think um before i was reading him so okay um it may just be a, a similar personality or something <laughs>
0: um and i know people are going to point to the warren and it's one of the reasons why we um, chose to profile that book
2: mm-hmm. in
0: this episode but i think immobility as well too probably has some pkd influence um just yeah. um, and I'm a huge fan of immobility. At the time, it was one of my top reads of the year as well. Um, could you talk about that book and and um, and and its genesis and and maybe sell sell our readers? Yeah, on immobility? sure.
2: Um, so immobility is a is a novel that I wrote because um, I actually got asked by a guy to write um a, a description of a book that I hadn't written. Like, he said, "If make up a fake book." write like a cover description for it and give it to me and I'll make a fake cover for it. And so I did that. And then when I did it, um an editor at Tor saw it and he was like, you know, you should actually write that book. Um, and so, so that was kind of the Genesis of it, the start of it. Uh, it's a kind of post-apocalyptic book that takes place in a, um, ruined, um, version of Utah, which is where I grew up. And, uh, um, it's it's about uh, kind of humanity's kind of started to fracture and fragment, um, and so has has kind of drifted into into other sorts of things. It's the air is dangerous; nobody can live there unless they've kind of gone through some sort of transformation. Um, and uh, it's just about a guy who is um, trying to figure out how what he, you know, how he kind of belongs in this world or doesn't belong, and is being manipulated by other people. Um, definitely I think there's a Philip K. Dick influence in that book in terms of the way in which he, Horkai, the main character, um, is, is, uh, kind of has a sense of what's real, but it's just not actually accurate in a lot of ways. Um, and then I also think, you know, it, it was probably books like Dr. Blood Money, um, that that kind of made me start thinking about a kind of post-apocalyptic landscape in a particular way, kind of less in a damnation alleyway and, and more in this way of just this kind of general ruin in which humanity is slowly fading out. Um, that, that's appealing to me. Um, so so yeah, it's probably probably partly tied to him. Um, he he. Uh, um, yeah, I think that, I think definitely, I mean, there's a kind of paranoia there. I don't know if I sold the book or not, but there you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I think at the time I called, I said it was like, uh, I think my combo was it's like the road meets THX1138. Yeah. Um, yeah,
2: that's not a bad combo too.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, um, I think the main character, I think one of the things that was a selling point was that he's actually, he works as a mule taking people across the wasteland, yeah. um, which was something that I'd never thought of happening before. And I remember that it was just a really frightening concept to me. Um, yeah. I love immobility. It's, it's my favorite okay. um, novel. Yeah. It kind
2: of has actual people and manufactured people and transformed people. And, you know, they're all trying to, to sort out what, what the world means and some are using the others, but yeah. Mm-hmm. The the mule characters are actually my favorite characters in that book.
0: Okay, one really kind of obscure one in, in your oeuvre, but I'm wondering if it has a... Because of the noir aspect of your alien tie-in novel written under B.K. <laughs> Evenson, No Exit, I'm wondering if there's... I know it's <laughs> set in the alien world, but it is a noir, right? So yeah. I was wondering if it had a little bit of PKD influence in kind of the setting
2: of
0: it um i could be wrong no, yeah I'd i'm, said I'm that. thinking
2: about it i mean i i think maybe not consciously but i i i you know i was i guess i published that in something like 2007 mm-hmm. Um and so it was right after i'd read every everything and so i i wouldn't be surprised if it was in there um but i wasn't you know i i think i was so focused on it being an aliens novel that I wasn't really thinking about that necessarily.
0: Yeah. I remember at the time I, I was definitely trying to sell, I was like, this is a really great sci-fi detective novel that just happens to be in the alien universe. It was really great work too. Good. Yeah, um, so, um, a few more questions about PKD and then we'll move into the war and Anthony, sure. do you
1: have something? No, I think we we ran out of questions on PKd. Oh, okay, for the oh. ones we had. Okay. Written. But, but I'm just gonna take this opportunity to tell Brian how much I love the short story cult and oh. a collapse of horses. It's not oh, PKD related, but man, I love that short story. Oh, so, good. I'm
2: really glad you, you you like that. And I hope you're never in that situation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, me too. And if you already
2: have been, then, then my condolences. Yes. Yeah, and <laughs> I think I
0: do want to take a moment to say to um, to our listeners that it's not... There are some somewhat PKD stories in your short story where I think Dust, for example, um, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, is good science fiction story. But... Um, Man, Brian, your short story work is definitely some of my favorites. Um, yeah, um same for, here. for me, the short story Any Corpse in uh Collapse of Horses I've talked about a lot. Um I actually <laughs> when when I when I read that book, I actually made Anthony sit down and read that story. <laughs> um <laughs> but before that's uh, what
2: friends are for yeah. yeah
0: i wouldn't let him get up until he finished reading the story so.
1: <laughs> and and unlike when he recommends me star trek tie-in novels it was <laughs> worth it and incredible too <laughs> oh
2: that's good that's awesome have yeah. i done that no no okay
1: um so let's talk about the
0: warren can you give us like a little thumbnail of like how this book started and where it came from
2: well so it it's a book that's um tied in a lot of ways to immobility the other book that you were talking about i mean i think there's some some commonalities to it and you can either see it as a kind of alternate world um version of of immobility or as something that's happening in the very far future from from immobility Um, and it's 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 about you know it's this character who kind of i i think this you know i do see it as very influenced by by Philip K. Dick and, and something like Flow My Tears, where it's just like, you know, these characters who are trying to, one, there's one character who's trying to figure out what's going on with him, um, why he is where he is, and when, what else seems to be happening. And then there's another character that he keeps caps- catching glimpses of. And so it's, it's really this, this, this man trying to sort out or figure out his, his world um, to make sense of it.
0: Yeah, and, um, here comes the part where I, um, where I read your book to you and ask you to comment on parts, but, uh, in, in... yeah, uh, page, <laughs> page, 27, uh, there's a part that I think really, like, sets the stage for, like, the questions uh-huh. of the whole book, and it says, um, and yet, who am I to say to that, to that, the, that the person I think I am, the person that has risen to the top like cream, is the real me. These others fill, fill up more of me than I do. Perhaps one of them is the real me and I'm the interloper.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, what that's referring to is that the um, this character kind of seems to be a kind of repository for all sorts of, of um, uh, uh, other personalities and, but they're partial, they're broken. They're kind of in pieces and he has a hard time kind of sorting out where he stops and where these other characters begin. He seems to be like this, almost like, you know, he's like a kind of fractured hard drive um, that, that still is functioning, but kind of broken in some way. So, so, so much of the book is about identity and, and subjectivity and figuring out, you know, who, who or what you are. And that uh, very much, I think is, is influenced by, by, by Dick and his work. Definitely.
0: Yeah, and so, um, of course, we will, we will have told everyone that we think that they should buy the book, read the book before they listen to this interview, because what we're hoping to do with this is to give people an insight for, for the people who are writers, mm-hmm. and, and not just readers, I think it'll be good for both, to get an idea of where you're coming from. How much of this was uh, written, are you a... A panzer or a planner? Did you have?
1: <laughs> if you read the Chicago interview you sent me, David, you would know the answer to this question. Well, but our <laughs> listeners
2: don't. Um. So I, I, I've done both books in both ways, where sometimes I plan it out and chart it out, and other times not. Um. This this book is a book that um I thought about the idea for it for a long time, and and really thought you know there was some aspects of the world of immobility that I wanted to play with and, 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 and kind of expand. Um, and, um, and then, um, but I didn't have a chance to work on it. I, I just, you know, it was hard to actually find time. And then I was at a writing conference. I hope this is what I actually said in the interview. I may have made something else up, um, but I was at a writing conference in Massachusetts and, and just my evenings were free. And so I would, I would, you know, just I kind of over the course of about a week, um, I just madly wrote a draft of it out, uh, and would be up, you know, till it, you know, I'd, I'd write from like eight, eight at night until like two in the morning. And, uh, and then, you know, I revised it a bunch after that, but it really just kind of came out, you know, very much in a burst. I didn't know for sure where it was going. And, but it, it kind of, you know, I think I just thought about it enough that it had kind of worked itself out in my head
1: in advance. How many drafts of this did you end up doing before Tor put it out?
2: um i think it was about so there was that first draft um i think it was about four or maybe five drafts before i had it where i wanted to and each draft would be i think the structure was pretty much established in the first draft um and then um and then the rest was you know sections kind of grew and shrank and changed and so on and so forth and then when i when i gave it to tour they were interested in it but they also wanted me to kind of expand it somewhat um and i i didn't expand it that much but i maybe expanded it one or two thousand words um uh which for me is unusual because usually i'm i i write something a little longer and then i kind of compress it down um so so that you know figuring out how to do that in a way that really worked and was effective and for them it was it was about some of the stuff in the last maybe um Quarter of the book, be, they they wanted it to just be a little more. Um, uh, they wanted to make sure that people could kind of stick with it and follow it. And I I'm pretty happy with the way it expanded and the way it ended up. So yeah, but so I'd say four or five drafts. I don't know which one I'd have to kind of look, but at, at least four, probably five.
0: Okay, so the next part that uh, specific part that I want to talk about on page uh, thirty four and thirty five. Uh Um, I love the scene where, um, X is, um, asked monitor the, the, the computer, um, who's the last person that, who's the last person to go outside and when did he return? And then monitor says question disabled. And then he finds out that he disabled his ability to ask that question it was a really great scene of paranoia. It's very PKD, in, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion. Um, but also done with with a panache that I don't know that he had. But um, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I just love this scene, and I, I was wondering if you would if this is meant to be a part of kind of um, unconsciously or or on purpose. It's kind of in the the Hal Nine Thousand. That kind of I just read a Peter Watts novella where he has like the the AI that's running a mission that, that they're kind of mm-hmm. having to, to deal with. I just love this scene. Could you talk, just tell us about this, this part.
2: Do, do you remember the name of the Peter Watts novella? I'm, I like his work a lot. I'm curious. Oh,
0: it's that. um the freeze frame revolution. It's my favorite sci-fi novel uh, of the year so far. It's okay, just I'm brand sure. new.
2: Yeah. I'll check it out. Um, so, so, uh, yeah i mean i I think that that um that Hal was definitely kind of behind that in some ways um there is this sense of of him kind of working against himself as well um you start to get a sense that that his he may at times when he thinks he's he's not conscious be actually acting as well, and so you know i I think that one of the the real challenges for writing this book was figuring out how to kind of layer those personalities in a way that would be effective. And to have readers kind of go into it and think they're somewhere, and, and then realize that there, you know, something else is going on, or that there has been a shift within him.
0: Yeah, and, um, and in this moment, he's the antagonist and the protagonist, right? The same. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah absolutely.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think that definitely too is um, that paranoia is is I think the thing that kept me reading dick over that year and a half and, and that keeps me going back to him. a few of those books i've returned to since then
0: well and it it just creates um it 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 makes the narrative um so fresh and different because um you you have the unreliable narrator but in a sense it just it just drives the story forward to have that kind yeah. of paranoia i just Excellent. i love it yeah.
2: i'm um, all for paranoia <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah us too um, Anthony, did you have anything, or do you want me to go to the next, um...
1: Uh, we can get through your, uh, lesson plan, teach. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, on, um, page 51 is, um, when we get the first, um, use of the, um, of Vagus. Yeah. Vegas. um, and Vegas, then, yeah. and then we get the, kind of, the hints of the alphabet soup for the names, where X, um... Gets his name. And I I was wondering what the inspiration for for that was for the name X and for the idea that that there were all these names um, Mm -hmm. in the alphabet.
2: You know, I I like this notion that there'd be a kind of sequence and that there'd be both this attempt to to name individuals, but also um, an attempt to order them at the same time. And so I think it was partly that, just kind of giving a sense of order. And and both humanizing the characters and not humanizing them at the same time, I think, is part of it. Um, the X thing, um, I don't know where that came from exactly. That was something I started. You know, that was something very early on that I I, I, I decided on, and I think that actually preceded the other names that I, I kind of built that up kind of around it. But. Um, it's been long enough that I just don't remember where it came from exactly. But once I had the X and and the sequence, it seemed to really make sense together.
0: So uh, one thing that's really, that you might find interesting is that um, I, to, to do this version of it and to read it, I, I got the book from the San Diego library. I got the uh-huh. one. And whoever had checked it out before me had circled the part on page 61 where it said, for the V's, the W's, the X's, the Y's, and the Z's, they circled it and wrote forgot. I don't know what that means.
2: <laughs> I don't but, know what that means either. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I just thought that was really
0: interesting. They just yeah. circled yeah. that and wrote forgot. I don't know right.
2: why. Yeah, yeah. I will uh, I may actually just somehow figure out a way to add that in in future editions. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that was kind of, that was something. Um One of my favorite parts, um, on page 64, there's a great, um, end to a chapter where, Uh um, monitors talking to X and it says, but you, it finally says, by what definition are you a person at all?
2: Right.
0: Oh, I love that. (laughs) So, um, I love the fact that Monitor and X are actually debating what a person really is, and he Mm -hmm. has to try to explain bipedal, like all these things. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. I thought that was a great extension of some of these ideas that we've, you know, seen in PKD fiction in the past too.
2: Yeah, no, and he's he's discussing it with, um, you know, a a kind of artificial intelligence as it's going on too, and and. uh, yeah, so I, I think it's a book that starts by, you know, he has a kind of limited sense of self, and then it becomes a fragmented sense of self, and then he starts to wonder if he's even human at, at a certain point. And so it, it, you know, and what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a person? And that, for some reason, that's, that's a question I, I return to kind of again and again in my work. Its Last Days is very much about, you know, at what point do you stop being human, or what point do you stop Qualifying as being human. So, yeah, I don't know why I'm obsessed with that question, but I am.
1: <laughs> I think Dick was too. Yeah, I think you're right about that. <laughs> well, <laughs> and if in
2: reality, that's... I haven't seen the pink light yet, though. So. Yeah. <laughs> the right. gray,
0: yeah. Well, we should all be thinking, I think fiction itself, um, that should be one of the themes that should be primary in everyone's mind, you know, mm. what it means yeah. to be human.
2: Yeah, I agree
0: with that. Yeah. Um, so on page eighty-eight, um, I thought I, know, I this may be I may be seeing the wrong influence on this, but I love the the scene where um, where the 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 test where he basically cuts off they cut off his hand um, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not quite blood that's coming out. It's yeah <laughs> something else. Yeah. But that whole scene and like test yourself are you human um that seemed to be kind of a a nice homage or tip of the hat to the thing
2: oh yeah you know i that's my favorite movie i teach a horror class um and i always teach that that's the one of the two or three movies i consistently teach um so i i wouldn't be surprised if that was (laughs) in the back of my head Um, but yeah, that scene is amazing in which they're, they're, um, you know, testing everybody with the blood and, um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And obviously this is a smaller version, but so Horak, um, he, as, as an H, he's really far back, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: And so him coming back, was there any, I mean, why, why the H and like, was it the time jump or... Or just, um, did well, it just happen?
2: I, I think two things. One is it's he may be different. He may not be part of the sequence. He may just have the name that, you know. Um, and so so that's one of the significances of the name. And then the other reason for the name being what it is is that it it's very much like um, Horkai, which is the name that comes up in, in Immobility. So there's a kind of playing around with that um as well even though i think it's like you know as i said it's like a mutated um connection between those two books
0: oh brian i'm going back to read immobility again you've done it. <laughs> 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 That's um, good. yeah well i love that i love that book anyways but um i think too the, the fact that um horak shows him we see his blood um and that scene is really supposed to be the idea that he's he is showing that he is something different from
2: X. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah he is. Absolutely.
0: Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That does, yeah. I love that scene. All right. So the Warren in general, um,
1: Anthony, do you have any questions about the writing of it? Or? Yeah. So you have to forgive me. I just started thinking about this question, so it might not sound like, okay. I, like I know how to phrase it, but there's, it's a really oh. lean book. Yeah. And that's one of the things I actually love about your writing style in general is that everything I've read of yours does seem pretty lean and <laughs> concise with the language. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but there's also a lot of, I don't know if maybe you would call it purposeful ambiguity in The Warren, where not everything yeah. is explained. And I love that type of stuff, but I know that there are other people out there who just, who want everything kind of explained in their movies or their stories. And do you ever struggle with that of, of writing a scene and going, Oh, do I leave this in? Or should I explain that? Will it make sense? Or should I just leave it up to the reader to figure it out? Cause mm-hmm. for, for me, I love ambiguous stuff, but I,
2: yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think for, for, I, I love it too, which is probably one of the reasons I write the way I, I do. Um, and you know, I, I think I said earlier that when, when I'm writing, um, my process for editing is usually to, to cut rather than to kind of expand, and so, so I, I kind of am kind of paring things away. And, and it is, it's hard to know where that moment is that, like, you've gone too far, or, you know. And, you know, every choice you make with that is going to, um, you know, keep some readers and drive other readers away. So it's just trying to figure out the, the balance where you kind of have a good, you know, as, as, as effective as, pos- as possible uh, of, a, of, 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 you know, a, a use of ambiguity. Um, so I try to think of it as productive ambiguity. And, and as long as the ambiguity is doing something for the reader in terms of making them think about the story in a way that, that works and is not just like, whoa, um, you know, it, it, if it starts turning things in people's heads and and getting them thinking and thinking about the story or the novella even after it's over, that's, that's great. That's really what I want. I mean, I want to write stories that, that kind of stick with you and that you really keep thinking about even after you put them down. And so, and I think ambiguity can do that if you do it right.
1: Well, I think that's um, what does stick with me about a lot of those stories of yours that I've read in The Warren is that I am trying to figure it out and, it, and yeah. the, the ambiguity is interesting and it creates kind of this aura of mystery that I want to know more about. Whereas if, if right. everything's explained, I'm going to go, oh, and then move on.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's it. You have to want to figure it out. And so I, I think you can't be vague. There's a weird combination of like being ambiguous and then also trying to be as precise as possible in the language, and and that combination I think can you know can get you somewhere hopefully.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering if you think that going back and reading Immobility now after reading The Warren, because I know you wrote Immobility first and published Immobility first, but I'm yeah. wondering if it's going to add do you feel like it's going to add insight to immobility for? Um,
2: No, I I think it's more that you, it'll feel familiar in some ways. I don't know if it'll add any insight or not Um, because I feel like it is like, um, it's like some of the same ideas and some of the same elements of the world, but transformed to another space. Um, uh, There's actually, there's another, there's a short story I wrote too, that's kind of halfway in between um, that, that is, Trying to kind of link them up, um, which I'm not going to remember the name of the story right now, but um, don't come to me. Um, I'll I'll send it to you. Um, and 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 there is just you know there's something about certain spaces that I feel like I want to go back to. Um, and I think that that with that it was like I wanted to go back to some of the the mood and the tone and the ideas of the of immobility, but kind of move it in a much different space. And so it's like instead of having, you know. Someone who doesn't know what's going on with these organized people around him—you um, have instead someone who just is feels like he's utterly alone, um, but has kind of these these systems of of thought within him, trying to sort out that. So, so I don't know if it would—I don't think it'll change your reading of immobility, but I think you'll see, like, there'll be moments where you—it'll almost be like Easter eggs in video games where you feel these connections kind of coming out.
0: But yeah, so. Just last thing on the Warren, um, did you have the market in mind when you, when you first started writing this? When you said you were writing in a fury at the, at the writers conference, um, were you already thinking about the tour line for novellas or did you know you had a novella? Did you think you had a short story or? Um,
2: I, I knew it was going to be a novella, but I didn't know, you know, exactly how long but i figured it'd be about twenty thousand words and it's about that there is something one of my only superpowers is that i'm kind of able to figure out how something how long something's going to be um kind of when i start writing it um which is which is not a bad so i'll know in the first few pages how long something's going to be and i did have you know tor had that open um that thing where they would accept submissions um for um novellas and and so i I kind of had that in mind as a possibility with it um, but then um what happened was I managed to finish it in time for that um but and you know had it done by the deadline, tried to send it in, and it turned out that the um they closed everything down at at five o'clock New York time rather than five o'clock you know <laughs> California, so I missed the deadline for that I wasn't able to get it, so I ended up sending it to uh, I kept it for a while, revised it once, and then um, sent it to Anne Vandermeer, um, who uh, uh, does stuff for them. And, and so that ended up, I think, being the first novella that she did for Tor, that she edited for Tor, was was that for that line.
0: Mm. Awesome. And for those who don't know, the line of novellas for Tor has been really, really fantastic. A lot of really great work, like the Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval, for example. Um, I mean, I've read Maurice Broaddus had a great. Buffalo Soldiers was really good. There's really good stuff in the tour.
2: Oh, yeah, there's there's great stuff there. I think it's, they're some of the most interesting um, kind of novellas anyway that are being done in science fiction in particular.
0: All right, before we close uh, things up, um, if, Anthony, do you have any more Warren questions or would we talk about the perky pat? No, let's uh, talk about perky pat. Yeah. Okay. Now you did mention Perky Pat when we talked about it earlier, but we did forget to um touch on you had a story that was kind of a response to Perky Pat,
2: right? Um I I did. Um I um um have a story which is called The Second Door, which I see as a response to um Perky Pat. It's it's a uh, I have a new collection that's coming out in May, which is called "Song for the Unraveling of the World," and that story is in that. It's also been anthologized or been in a uh, 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 collection of anthology stories that came out. Um, But that story is about these um, uh, uh, a a man and his sister who are kind of in this space, uh, trapped in this space that seems to have two different realities on either side of it. That there's one door that leads out. To a this strange space in another door that they seem to be able to go through and look for food if they need to. But they have, they, the, his sister entertains him by playing with these dolls that represent their parents. And I definitely, when I was working on that, I had Perky Pat in mind that that story was um, kind of a, a much grimmer version of Perky Pat.
0: Mm-hmm. Wasn't that nominated for uh, Shirley Jackson?
2: It was. It was a finalist for a Shirley Jackson Award. Yeah. So, which I think Kurt uh, Favre got that uh, award.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. That's sounds awesome. I'm. I'm really looking forward to the collection. Of course. Um, Excellent. Is that the next um, book you have coming out?
2: So that, that is. That'll be out in uh, May, I think, of 2019. And nothing. Nothing in between.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, um, you definitely wanted our appetite for that. Um, so um, we, we're just about to read Dr. Futurity, and we're going huh. into the second phase. We've done five uh, PKD books, <laughs> and I know we're closing out the year with Man in the High Castle, hmm. um, just the way the timing worked. But, um, I'm just wondering, um, for that, that kind of that second era in the early sixties of PKD, um, if there's, um, yeah, sorry, you guys are giving me a hard time. If there's anything that, um, we should be really looking for in PKD, um, that our listeners who are reading along with us should be, what do you think we should be looking for in the second phase of PKD's career?
2: well I, I think he definitely starts to become um, more consistently good um, more more kind of focused and and stuff so I, I think that that's something that's likely to be pretty appealing um, and there are some some good books that um, you know that 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 probably are i mean there's books that are somewhat strange like now wait for last year when you get to that um, um, which which is very concept driven but there's still something about it that kind of works as well uh or dr blood money which i actually think is a is is maybe um underestimated in terms of the quality of the of, of it um i don't know i mean i do think he kind of comes to his own in this in in that second phase so yeah
0: yeah that's really awesome well you know, it's really cool um, that you are an actual dickhead, um, because Thank you. we've we, we, we've had a couple, hopefully,
2: in, in only one way. Yes.
0: Yeah, we've had a couple uh, authors on who had PKD influenced stuff, and then we come to find out they hadn't read much. Oh,
2: <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's he's. Uh, I guess I've, I've read more of him than almost any science fiction writer at this point. So and he's definitely among my my favorites.
0: Um, and then just last, are there any other science fiction authors from the, from the classic era that uh, that you're into that you think um, dickheads might also enjoy?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's I, I um am pretty good friends with Chip Delaney, Samuel Delaney, and I think his work is really um his is really interesting and definitely worthwhile. Um, some different concerns, but but it's it's really um, uh, uh, quite good, I think, and, and definitely worthwhile. Um, Theodore Sturgeon, I think, is a classic writer who maybe people um, don't know nearly as well as they they might. Um, and then the one who probably is my favorite after Dick is um, Cordwainer Smith, um, who is this kind of amazing writer um, who. Um, that's, that's a pseudonym for him under his real name. He actually wrote a, uh, the manual of psychological, um, warfare for, um, uh, intelligence agency. And, uh, um, but he's really, really kind of amazing writer. He has a book, which is called, um, uh, he's mainly short stories. His short stories are really great. And, and I, I really like him a lot. Um, So he's someone I I definitely recommend. He has a book called or a a novella called The Dead Woman of Clown Town, which is really great. So so those are if I had to be like on a desert island with only classic SF writers, um, I definitely would would recommend those guys.
0: Yeah, we're really excited. We're going to do we kept kept reading PKD mention this one.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah. If you could start with, yeah, anything of his, I I definitely recommend. He has another one called a a planet called, um, I can't remember exactly. Um, he has, he just, a lot of his stuff is really great. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. We're, we're, um,
0: we're going to be doing an episode soon on the world of Null A because it was such a huge influence on, on Dick. And, um, we also, we've recorded, we haven't released yet, but, um, we discovered a short story that he said was his biggest influence when he was a child reading mm-hmm. sci-fi. was a story from the 30s called Alas, All Thinking by Harry Bates. Oh, and, huh. okay. Yeah, and it's been really cool because we're, I, we're definitely getting insights into what kind of formed uh, PKD as a writer from reading these things that influenced him. Yeah. And uh, vote. Yeah. A.E. Vote definitely was his biggest
2: influence. <laughs> that, that's interesting. Yeah, I haven't read much of Vogt. Um, you know, for me, the other classic writer, there was a story I read when I was really young um, called A Bowl of Biscuits Makes a Growing Boy, um, who I don't even remember the author's name, and it's the only thing I've read by him, but that, um, that, that story is kind of almost J.G. Ballard-esque in terms of how it worked, and that really worked for me as well. Have you
0: been able to find that story? or?
2: Yeah, it's, it's available. And I um, I just don't remember the... Uh, I didn't know his name at the time. And, and then I found it out since and I've forgotten it now. So oh. it's embarrassing. Sorry about that.
0: We'll have to, <laughs> we'll have to find that. <laughs> the internet.
2: Raymond F. Jones. That's why I can't remember it. Because it's a totally ordinary name.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Um, any um, last questions from the other dickheads in the room?
1: Are there any modern science fiction writers that you think are kind of working in the same vein as Dick?
2: Um, I don't know. I mean, that's that's a really good question. I haven't. I I think there's so many modern writers who talk about him as an influence, but in in terms of like feeling like kind of they're doing full-on Philip K. Dick, uh, not that many. The only, you know, Jonathan Lethem's first book, Gun, with occasional music. Um, strikes me as as um, being pretty close in some ways. I do see it as quite influenced um, by something like Ubik. Um, uh, but other than that, I'd have to think a little bit. But yeah, no one comes to mind like really definitively. I feel like a lot of contemporary SF is less paranoid than SF used to be. Um even though I'm still very paranoid, but but for some reason that, <laughs> that seems to have dropped out a little bit. So
0: Well, you know, we end every episode with keep it paranoid. So <laughs> um,
2: it's keep it paranoid. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well uh, on that note, um Brian, thanks for being with us on Dickheads. Uh we may Thank call, you call we may call on you again when we get uh further into the catalog for for more um, PKD nerding out. Absolutely. Especially if
1: you have a favorite book or a book you really do like talking about, we could totally do this for that episode.
2: That sounds good, yeah. So it would actually, There, I haven't read some of the books that have that came out pretty late, you know, after his death. And so I'd almost be interested in just reading one of those cold and talking about it at some point, seeing what happens.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. That'll
2: be like 30 years from now. Is what <laughs> yeah. I, we'll, we'll get there in
0: yeah. about 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, what the format that we're doing is we're doing one short story slash movie a month and then one novel a month. So. Yeah. Okay.
2: We'll get yeah. Get there, Yeah.
0: Yeah. We'll get there eventually. Uh, I was surprised to see how early man in the high castle was. Um,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. it is pretty early. So. Yeah. You know, weirdly, I I don't like *Man in the High Castle* nearly as much as some of the other books. I know a lot. I think it's there's great things and interesting things about it, but it, it's uh, it's interesting to me that that was the one that became the series.
0: Right, right. Well, yeah, and especially compared to like *Flow My Tears*, or um, yeah, yeah, and, and it, it, it's the funny thing about *Man in the High Castle* is I just think the alternate Nazi thing is just really appealing yeah. to people some weird reason
2: uh-huh.
0: <laughs> then we also have like Norman Spinrad had a great Iron Dream and all that and it's yeah. just, it does well but yeah any- yeah. yeah yeah okay Brian play. <laughs> yeah Brian it was great uh, nerding out on PKD with you um, and we'll definitely uh, keep you in mind in the future thanks for spending time with us
2: thanks so much